now. Here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Dennis, thank you. It is day two of Muskegon. Muskegon day number two. And the I, I don't know about you, and forgive me if I shouldn't be doing this, but I am enjoying the panic and the hysteria. The tears are delicious and refreshing. I don't know how you feel about it, but the total meltdown over Elon Musk and Twitter, even if you're not a Twitter user, it's something to behold. Freedom is terrifying to some people. Have you noticed that? And they're not even, they're not even hiding the ball on this play. They're telling you it's going to be really dangerous if people in this country can just say whatever they want to say, ignoring the fact that that's been the case in this country for the, the entire history of this country. But freedom is terrifying. It makes you wonder, what did we have before? What was what did we have before yesterday's news? I, I thought we had freedom. They would have said we had freedom. But all of a sudden, along comes Elon Musk and his $44 billion, and it's the death of freedom. Or it's freedom that's going to kill us. Now, I want to play something for you that is typical of this. I mean, it's really something to behold. During a segment of his uh, MSNBC show yesterday, a commentator named Ari Melber was uh, going on about uh, Musk's acquisition of Twitter and the potential of a social media platform to influence an election. He describes what could hypothetically happen now that Musk owns Twitter, and in doing that, describes what actually did happen with Twitter and the 2020 election. Take a listen. Cut number two. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. So isn't what he's describing the thing that Elon Musk might do with Twitter in the next election? What the old owners of Twitter did with Twitter in 2020. Ari, they've already done what you're predicting. Your, your prediction has already come true. You could target one party's candidate. You could turn down the reach of their stuff. You could turn up the reach of something else. You could block news about a candidate. I mean, just imagine, Ari... Just imagine if, say, I don't know, hypothetically, a presidential candidate's son had made all kinds of iffy and questionable business deals and then left his laptop at a repair store. Wow. This is amazing. Where has Ari Melber been? I didn't know. I thought he'd been on the air every day. Apparently, he's one of those guys that was in a coma and just came out of it. What a glimpse of the future from Ari Melber. Who's going to win the Who's going to win the American and National League pennants last year? Ari, can you tell us? I mean, God forbid the Twitter be used to influence the outcome of an election. Here's another example of the unhingedness of the reaction. This is from ABC's The View, and one of the View hosts, Sonny Hostin, says she knows what's going on. 
with this Elon Musk guy. By the way, they're all very hung up on the fact that Elon Musk was born in South Africa. He comes from South Africa. He was born in South Africa. And she knows what's up. Listen to this, cut number one. In fact, on Twitter, it is predominantly straight white men. So when Elon Musk says, wow, this is about free speech, it seems to me that it's about free speech of straight white men. And so let them have it. Let them just go at it. I enjoy the block button on Twitter. Um, I think it has a real outsized influence in, in, in our world because politicians and celebrities are on it. Has this reporterette actually ever seen Twitter? Has she seen the content? Has she heard any of the stuff, for example, we've shared on this show? It's all straight white men. It's it's like what the it's like the YMCA of the internet. I mean, what what the hell is she talking about? So apparently, in order to downgrade or 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 tear down uh, Elon Musk. You have to present the idea that Twitter was never that great to begin with. So one guy is saying we had freedom until yesterday. She's saying, oh, it's never really been that great. It was just a, a meeting in the woods of, you know, bare-chested straight guys. Um, and then the uh, reaction from some people was, well, now we know what's going to happen. Everybody now knows what's going to happen. First thing Musk is going to do is put Donald Trump back on Twitter. And I guess they didn't keep up with Trump, but of course he started his own social media platform called Truth Social, and he's already said he's not interested in coming back to Twitter. Musk has said absolutely nothing about uh, Trump. So it's, it's not even a question of following the developments or following the news anymore. These people now are just living in a fantasy world of their own what-ifs and predictions, and it's, it's Muskegon. They used to say to us, if you don't like Twitter, build your own. They used to say to us that um, they thought, uh, you know, Trump and Trump's campaign and Trump's supporters were under the influence of or were a uh, secret operation of Putin, now they're saying that about uh, Musk. Putin controls him. So that's the new... By the way, Putin is now the new conspiracy theory for everything and anything uh, that they don't like. But as I said yesterday, the people that are threatening to never get on Twitter again were also the people that were never going to use Spotify again, the people that were going to move to Canada after filling the blank with whatever election... They are very hung up on this guy buying Twitter, which tells you that they had some reasonable expectation that there was a finger on the scale at Twitter before. Because if it was truly a platform for free speech before, where would the impetus to buy it have come from? And if it wasn't, and I don't think it was, then what exactly are they afraid of now? Why, for example, I mean, we'll all, as I said yesterday, we'll, we'll see what he does. 
But why would your reaction be to run away as opposed to saying, well, I'm going to get in there and see if I can say this and do that, and let's see what he does to me. By the way, he has said that he's not going to do anything to the platform for the next six months. There'll be no policy changes or personnel changes. They're running away because they know they had a scam going, and now they don't, or they're afraid they don't. We should be much more interested in what politicians are owned by millionaires and billionaires than we are in which social media platforms or media outfits uh, they own. Yes, there's influence when you own media, but we have only begun to scratch the surface of how our politicians and our politics are bought and paid for. We should be very interested in who owns senators, congressmen, governors, districts attorney or district attorneys and the like as a, as opposed to who owns Twitter. Tell me your thoughts on that 210-599-5555 as we talk about day 2 of Muskegon. Why why is freedom, free speech Uh, The idea that everyone will be able to get on Twitter, that people will be able to say things. Why is that so terrifying to people that shoot their mouths off and express themselves all the time and have had no trouble doing it? What do they think is going to happen? And if they are right, um, why do you think they are right? Something that's that's gotten lost in the the, the static of this uh, Twitter story uh, is that it's a business deal, and um, Elon Musk made a business deal. Uh, to my knowledge, and I, I could be wrong, um, I, I have never heard or read anything attributed to him uh, such that he is on some kind of ideological tear or he has designs for crafting this thing into a uh, a weapon for one side or the other. Uh, somewhere around here I've got the quote where he says, uh, here it is, Um, He tweeted this out um, yesterday afternoon. I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that's what free speech means. You know, there have been a lot of business deals where somebody has bought into old or new media. Um, Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy, bought, what, the Washington Post, right? And I don't remember people freaking out about, oh, well, now one person will control this very powerful newspaper. I, I, I realize the, the, the circulation of the Washington Post is minuscule compared to Twitter, but my point is these are business deals. And w- when we see who owns something, we can infer a lot about the content of that platform or that channel or that site or whatever it is. So as time goes on, if there is a definite uh, bent to the uh, permission or lack of permission, if there are people being silenced or deplatformed, uh, then then fine. Then draw those conclusions, and they'll be there for everyone to see. Um, but right at the moment, the people who who had the stock made this deal, uh, and the board made this deal because that's what you do. They had a duty to take this deal. They had a fiduciary duty, and they and they met it. Um, here's somebody overpaying for your for your stock, overpaying for your company, um, and that's what happened. Now, again, there are people, and I mean uh, Jeff Bezos is certainly one of them that are a lot more overtly political 
So when they purchase media companies, um, it would be more legit to ask, well, what's going to happen now, or how is this going to be you know, bent or shaped to the advantage of one party or one ideology? I just don't, at the moment, this guy is saying things that sound like he wants this to be uh, open. We'll see, right? Time will tell. I'll, I'll be the first to say, if he if he is a secret agent for one ideology or another, I'd, I'd be the first to say so as soon as I could see it. 210-599-5555. Now, there's been some interesting talk about what does it mean or what does he mean by free speech. And people have been throwing up examples over the last 24 hours. Well, what if you wanted to say this? Well, what if you wanted to say that? And everything they say is something that we've already determined is part of free speech in America. So anti-Semitism, yeah, that's part of free speech in America. Racism, that's part of free speech in America. Crazy theories about everything from COVID-19 to, uh, you know, the, 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 what did the government know about 9-11 or Pearl Harbor? These are all things that have always been part of the landscape of free speech. And the answer to them has always been more free speech. So it's only fairly recently in our 250-year history that we thought we needed what we call euphemistically content moderation or speech police. We did just fine for the first 240-plus years by saying, well, if you say something ridiculous and you can't back it up, we're going to drown you out with our laughter and our derision. And we're going to take it from where it comes. So when people say things, we're going to take a measure of who they are, where they're coming from, who pays them, etc. That seems to have worked. All of a sudden we're being told now that is unworkable. That is dangerous. The Twitter that Musk is describing looks a lot like what we were told Twitter was before he bought it and what we have experienced in terms of the free speech marketplace. Stephen is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Stephen, good afternoon. Jack, how are you doing? What do you think about all this, Stephen? Well, I mean, I, I well, of course, uh, the left has gone crazy again, and uh, they're extremely worried about losing power at all costs, and now they're afraid of Elon Musk. You know, what? It, just for a moment, just think, what would have happened and what would they be saying had... Yeah, George Soros purchased Twitter. Then what? Well, I guess then people on the right would be acting like people on the left are acting today, right? <laughs> but I got to be honest. Really? For me, it's the same thing because you you now you you know who he is. You know his record. In the case of George Soros, you you know that in fact he does spend his money on very specific and overt political stuff outcomes right so if he bought twitter it would be safe to assume okay now he's going to do with twitter what he's doing with district attorneys and political contributions but musk doesn't have that that record that i know of has he given to political candidates has he been funding a a pattern of candidates i don't i don't know that but but even if he had he's not going to publicize it like you know like everybody george soros needs everyone to know that he's doing this you know, uh, I, I just don't put them in the same category. I think no, I'm not they, putting them in the same oh, category, yeah. but my point is if you, if he, you're asking me what if he bought it, and my answer would be, well, then we would know what to make of it, right? Correct, correct. 
And, and by the way, I don't think he would buy. I don't think he would buy Twitter because it's an interesting question. I never thought of it before. Stephen is asking, what if George Soros had made that offer? Um, I think he's more interested in direct action, right? Like you, you buy a DA, look what happens in a place like Los Angeles. So with Twitter, you'd have to be patient and let the conversation go forward and try to influence people over a period of time. He he gets banged for the <laughs> buck with these right. DAs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Stephen, thank you for the call. It's a good question. Um, yeah, so so would the left be fine if it was somebody else of course they would be because it already has been somebody else it's been other you know when when people they are okay with jeff bezos is an example um he's cool he's hip he he hasn't done anything they don't like um so if he bought it um yeah that would be that would be just fine uh and i i don't i don't see musk i i want to be very clear about this and i said this yesterday and people got mad about it um, just because Musk is the enemy of people you see as an enemy doesn't mean he's your ally. I don't know what he's going to do. All he has said so far is pretty harmless-sounding stuff about free speech. He says, I hope my enemies and critics remain on Twitter. So we'll see. 210-599-5555. Um, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but my my view of free speech is that I want there to be out in the open, my ideas, your ideas, his ideas, her ideas, because the minute we single out somebody, we say, well, see that person over there, their ideas are harmful, crazy, uh, ugly, so we're going to stuff them into a corner, we're going to shove them down a crevice where they will not be heard or seen. In that crevice, those ideas go unchallenged, and they fester. They don't go away. You can put something out of your sight. It doesn't mean it disappears, right? You can you can put an object in a drawer and not be able to see it anymore. It doesn't mean it disappeared. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. When you put controversy in a crevice, it festers. People find it. They fester along with it. And then nobody's challenging it. There's no debate around it. And you give them a certain justification, right? Well, look, I what I said is so dangerous, they censored me. They took me off a... Of, so you you confer a legitimacy on something that might otherwise just look pretty crazy if it had to exist out in the open with all of the other expressions and ideas and opinions. Speaking of which, we haven't talked about it much yet, but I want to get into this um, case that's before the Supreme Court. They had arguments yesterday and today about um, the case of a high school football coach saying a prayer on the field. And the reason I think this is kind of related to the Elon Musk story and the Twitter story is that um, this, the circumstances of this case could only happen today. This is something that would not have ever made the courtroom at one time. Um, the Supreme Court has a case before it called Kennedy versus Bremerton District. And it's about a football coach, well now ex-coach at Bremerton High School in Washington State. His name is Joseph Kennedy. And he lost his job because he, he would not stop something that he had been doing for a long time, which was that um, after a game, after the game was over, he would take a knee, and I know what you're thinking already, wait a minute, he got fired for kneeling at a football game? The NFL did that. There wouldn't be anybody left to play the game. Anyway, I know. 
He would take a knee at midfield after the game. He would say a brief, silent prayer of thanks. He says he was praying, thankfully, that the players from both teams had been able to play. They'd had this opportunity. They played their best. So it was just sort of a thank you, God, for the opportunity to have this contest kind of prayer. And uh, this all went down several years ago. I think it was 2016. He was put on leave. They kept telling him if he just would stop this prayer. And he, he said, I can't. I believe this is the right thing to do. He is, um, or his lawyers are arguing both for establishment of religion and freedom of speech. And um, the justices heard oral argument yesterday about this. The district, the school, their lawyers are saying he was on duty. So during this moment, he is on duty. This would be no different, they said, than if he was praying in the classroom, praying in front of a classroom of students. They tried to, they say they tried to accommodate him. Couldn't you pray somewhere where it wasn't visible? And he's explained in interviews that he takes very seriously the idea in the gospel that if you don't acknowledge me publicly, it's like you're not acknowledging me at all. You have to come to me publicly. So, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I, I'm not one to predict the Supreme Court. There was an interesting observation by Justice uh, Thomas. He uh, asked the lawyers for the school district if the coach, instead of kneeling for prayer, had took a knee during the national anthem because of moral opposition to racism, how would your school district respond? And, of course, the answer to that we already know because people have done it. Uh, you can kneel during the national anthem, and you can give any reason for that, or you actually don't have to give a reason. But what's interesting about this case to me, and I realize there's a lot of issues in this case, and and I, I'm not a I'm not a lawyer or a constitutional scholar, but you know what's interesting to me about this case is how very. Um, mundane and uh, ordinary Coach Kennedy's actions would have been not very long ago. I mean, there is still a lot of overt prayer in American life. I mean, you've heard the joke about there'll, there'll always be prayer in schools as long as there are tests, and, that's, and that I think is true. But there, there's always been overt prayer and genuflection uh in our in our public square in our in our visible lives we are not a society that has told people stuff it down hide it go behind a screen even now if you watch a lot of sporting events how many times have you seen an athlete cross himself or hold his hands up to heaven or after a, a great victory or a home run or a game winning hit or play the first thing a, an interviewed athlete will say is, first, glory to God. So it, it's all around us. And I think the reason Coach Kennedy was under fire, under, under duress, is because it's become rarer. It's because it's not as common. 
when there's fewer people doing it, when there's less of it, you can start singling it out. You can start treating it like it's an unusual event. What's this guy doing? What's that? But there was a time not very long ago when they wouldn't have known where to start because there was so much of it. If you are praying silently, and here I'm going to get a little deep for just a second, if you are, in other words, bowing your head or taking a knee or both, what is the actual message to people that don't share that faith? Because I assume we're, we're, that's who we're worried about, right? We're not worried about people who are like, I get it, I know what he's doing. We're worried about people that don't have that faith. We're worried about people that don't have that um, that belief or persuasion, right? And, and, and there's something, I think, noble and correct about the idea in our country that the government does not establish a religion. I don't want anybody in an authority position of government to lead other people into their religion, to lead other people into their faith. It's for the same reason I don't want them to lead other people through their authority into their sexual identity or their political persuasion or belief. So if I'm against a coach or a teacher evangelizing in the classroom about God, then I'm also going to be against them evangelizing in the classroom about being trans or or joining a political party or voting for a, a candidate, or hating a, a political party, or hating a candidate. Those are all of a piece. It's very interesting, isn't it, that we have a case about a coach silently praying, wordlessly silently praying, precisely at the moment that the Internet is flooded with teachers who are essentially like coaches, right? Coaches are teachers. The Internet is flooded with teachers doing egregiously, obviously, blatantly what some people are trying to accuse Coach Kennedy of doing. I think that's really interesting. How do you miss that, right? It's like the speck in your eye and the beam in mine. What do you think? By the way, with everything that we are learning about CTE and concussions and the effect on the brain of playing football, and there are people in this country today saying, I'm not sure that I want my child playing football. There was a survey recently that said half of all uh, teenage parents of teenagers are not sure they want their son to play football. It's amazing. Seems like we could use every prayer and good wish and good intention we could get. Seems like we need it more than ever. And again, it's very telling that of all the things being pushed and and um, sold hard sell to young people, much younger, by the way, than high school athletes, this is the one that they have an issue with. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Let's talk about that. I want to see what you think, how you feel about it. I mean... You do remember when there was so much of this and it was so common that it would have been hard for them to sort of call somebody from the herd and, and make a case or make an example. It says something that 
you can do that now. Shannon writes, while I totally agree with the coach and I am on his side in this case, Matthew 6, 5 says, don't make a spectacle of yourself praying. I don't want to get into a scriptural debate because I'm I'm, uh, probably underprepared and outgunned, uh, and I I, I wouldn't hold myself up as any student of or apologist about uh, scripture, but um, I don't think that's what... I'm pretty sure that the scriptural teaching, uh, which was about the Pharisees, a group of people who were uh, ostentatious, and showy, and um, were they were the religious leaders of Jesus' time. I'm, I'm pretty sure that has nothing to do with a man taking a knee, bowing his head, and being grateful for his team, the other team, the game, the privilege of competing. I don't think that's I don't think that's what that is. I I mean I'm 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 open to the debate if you want to have it. I don't think that's what he's doing. So if, if the question is, is the football coach in Washington being sort of uh, ostentatious or, or inappropriate, um, w- there is no freedom of religion if you have to conceal it, if you have to be secretive about it, right? Then you're describing countries like the former Soviet Union where people had to have church in basements and behind walls, where Bibles had to be ripped apart into individual books and and smuggled around by hand, where people would brush against one another in the street and tuck Isaiah into a coat pocket or tuck, you know, Psalms into a pocketbook. Because if you were caught with it, you were in trouble. That's that's not freedom of of, of religion you could you could make the argument therefore if you wanted to take Matthew 6 5 too literally you could make the argument that no one should see you going to church no one should see you you shouldn't have the Catholic radio bumper sticker on your car nobody should see you with a cross on so I don't I think there's a big difference with all due respect I, I think there's a big difference between being um, ostentatious and wanting uh, adulation and wanting people to see how how holy you are versus acknowledging and and humbly evincing your faith. By the way, I also think that, um, and, and again, this is just me, this is not, Coach Kennedy is not on trial for being a good or observant Christian. He's on trial because he's a public school employee, and the state, in this case his school district, is alleging that he violated the terms of his employment by taking a knee. So if we were having a trial in a religious court about whether or not he is a an, uh, you know a, a, a Jesuitical observant Christian, that would be one thing. I guess you could bring that up. But this is about whether or not, in bowing his head and taking a knee, not saying it out loud, not speaking the Lord's name, not not inviting or pulling down to the ground with him the other players, is this somehow uh, violating their their rights? I, I don't see it. The 
I, I want to be careful because sometimes people take this argument a little too far. And they go, well, if you can't do that, then religion is dead. No, no religion is not dead. No matter what they do to us, no matter how they rule, no matter what they deprive us of, no matter how many people lose their jobs for being Christians or Jews or Muslims or whatever they are, no matter how many times courts, in my opinion, get this kind of thing wrong, that isn't what will kill religion. What will kill religion is you and me. Oh, but it's when they took God out of the school. No, no, no. no. Some of the most vibrant faith communities I have ever heard of or seen are in places where their faith is absolutely against the law. There are places where it is risking your life to believe in Jesus Christ. It is a daily existential choice you make. This could be my last day on earth for for having this belief. And people do it. And I've talked to people that have done missionary work in places like Asia and Africa, and they'll tell you, in pla- it's amazing, they say. They thought they knew uh, robust faith life, and then they go to these places where it's against the law, and the government is surveilling, and people are, are snitching each other. And they go, it's unbelievable how, how strong and, and incandescent the faith is in those places. There are places in Africa where they don't see a priest but every few months, but everybody comes to the the weekly mass, the weekly prayer. So I, I, They're not killing religion. Whatever the Supremes do with this case and the next hundred cases like it, the only thing that will kill Christianity will be Christians. I really believe that. I know people don't want to hear it. I know it's not a popular thing to say, and I'll probably get a rack of you-know-what for it, but that's what I believe. I, I always laugh when I think of the quote. I think it was Groucho Marx, of all, of all people. Like, he's going to quote Groucho Marx? What? But I think it was him, you can check me on this, who once said, uh, the only problem with Christianity is how few Christians you meet. So it, the, the life or death of this faith is on the people who claim it, no one else. That's just my take, though. I was just reading about the uh, mating habits of the orb-weaving spider, Dennis. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> You know, as I as I like to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. And um, we all have our hobbies. And, uh, yeah, it says here researchers in China have discovered that the male of the orb-weaving spider uh, uses his two front legs to rapidly uh, launch himself away from the female as soon as the mating is over. Hmm. So I don't really think that's anything new. I mean, no. human males have been doing that for yeah. years and years. And it doesn't say if the it doesn't say if the the male orb weaving spider calls her the next day though. So, I mean, that's probably the that's probably the difference. All right, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We're talking about this uh, Supreme Court case with the football coach who knelt and silently prayed at the end of football games. The game's over, and he would get, he would uh, kneel on the sideline and. Uh, have just a moment. Uh, the school kept asking him to stop doing it. They even said, could you just do it somewhere else? We'll let you go in the press box and do it or go in the locker room and do it. This was some years ago. He said no. Um, and so they didn't renew his contract. I said 2016. It was 2015. Um, and so this is about, 
you know, both uh, free speech and free exercise, right, to core constitutional con- concepts, free speech and free exercise of religion. Um, and and is he is what he is doing uh, something that the schools have an interest in prohibiting because it would uh, be seen as the school endorsing his faith or faith? And I just think it's ironic that we're having this case right now at a moment when we keep seeing, we keep catching in the act educators very overtly evangelizing for beliefs they have, lifestyles they have. And we are told it is mean to even suggest they should not be doing that. In fact, the uh, libs of TikTok, uh, the, the, the keeper of that account... Uh, on Twitter, was publicly doxxed and savagely uh, attacked by so-called journalists for doing nothing other than aggregating videos these teachers have posted of themselves. She's not she's not recording them secretly or against their will. She's saying, well, if you're proud of this, I want everybody to see it. You posted it, I'm going to share it. Now, what's really evangelizing? What's really using the power of a publicly funded authority position, what the coach is doing or what the teacher is doing when he's encouraging his kids to question their gender or not tell their parents about what's being talked about in school or things of that nature. What do you think? 210-599-5555. Um, and I, I, I do think there are people that would not be comfortable doing what he does. You know, I'm Catholic. So Catholics, if if you don't know, I'm sure you I'm sure you do, but Catholics tend to be more circumspect than some other Christians about talking about their faith. Uh, we're not as likely to if you were to get into a conversation with somebody, Catholics are perhaps not as likely to ask questions like uh, have you been saved? Uh or uh you know, to invite you to come to church or things like that. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying one behavior is better or preferable. It's just that there's different ways of, of evincing or evoking your religion. But, um, we're pretty, we're usually pretty private about it. We're pretty quiet about it for the most part. Uh, but the, the point of religious liberty is that you, you can choose that. So you might not, if you had his job, you might not do what he did. You might not handle it the way he did. But can he do what he did? What do you think? 210-599-5555. What if the coach was of a different religion, a different faith, and your son played on his team? Uh, would that bother you? Would you feel you had to say something? And you can only imagine the mindset of the people that did report him. Like, in what universe are people seeing that and thinking, I've got to tell someone. I don't think that's preservation of liberty. I think that's hostility to religion. That, that's just me. But I think, I think for you to be motivated enough to report, to report someone is you have an issue with religion. You're not, you're not trying to just, you know, I'm just trying to keep everything neat and tidy in the, in the constitutional sense. No, I don't think so. 
210-599-5555. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, the question put to Jen Psaki on Monday about the death of the Texas Guardsman, Bishop Evans. And her response, uh, she was asked, does the Biden administration feel any responsibility for Bishop Evans losing his life in that uh, moment on the river? And, and her response was to say, well, yeah, we mourn his we mourn the loss of his life, and we're grateful for the work of every guardsman. But then she says, I would note that the National Guard work for the states. So he's an employee of the Texas National Guard. So she says the ob- obligatory, sorry this happened, but then she pushes him aside or, 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 or puts distance, right? Well, that's the state. Now, I realize it's Jen Psaki. You don't get a lot of time with her. You don't get to ask a lot. You, you know, you get a question or maybe one follow-up. But I like to follow up. Does she understand? I think she does. She's a smart person. That the reason there was a Texas guardsman, the reason the state is directing its guardsmen to do these duties, is because the federal government has chosen not to do them. So he wasn't on a field trip. He was filling a need that before this administration has been met by every preceding administration. And then the other thing she said that I thought was interesting was the National Guard worked for the states. It wasn't that long ago that Nancy Pelosi was snapping her fingers and demanding that the states send guardsmen to her security theater deal around the Capitol. It also strikes me as interesting that a a Washington, D.C. spokesperson or politician would suddenly have this conception that the states are a separate political entity. It's very rare, actually. We should mark our calendars that Jen Psaki said this on April 25th, 2022, because it's actually incredibly rare that they acknowledge the existence of the states. She's not only acknowledging their existence, she's saying, well, they act independently of the federal government. Wow, hold on, let me write this down. Because isn't that what we have been trying to say forever in a day? It's a little something called federalism. So yesterday I was mad that she would give such an insensitive answer, and I still am. But as I thought about it today, I realized... Um, hidden in that incredibly pre-planned, almost lawyerly response, I mean, they had to know there would be a question, is a really weird um, dichotomy. So it's almost as if what the Texas Guardsmen, the Arizona Guardsmen are doing is something they don't really, we don't really know what they're doing. They're on some state-directed activity, she said. Yeah, it's the border between the United States and Mexico. <laughs> it's not some pet project we came up with. It's your job that they are doing. And again, that's the kind of thing, if you could, if you could really sit down with a Biden, a Mayorkas, I I would not let them get away with this kind of an answer. She gets away with it, and the press will probably let it sit there, and that'll be the end of it. They'll move. They've already moved on. 
Yesterday we said, will they say his name? I, I didn't hear his name in the news today. They've already forgotten. We won't forget, you and I, I know, but they really need to, they need to be held down, pinned down on this. What should Musk buy and fix next? What would be the next thing you'd like to see him buy? 210-599-5555. Like, okay, people think he's going to, he's going to fix Twitter. He's going to make it so that they don't ban and favor and disfavor and it will be a free speech, free for all. That's what we think will happen. I guess time will tell. Uh, and I know he's sunk a lot of money into it, but what else should he buy? What else could Elon Musk buy that you'd like to see him fix? Maybe it's California. <laughs> I'm under, I wonder what the going price is for that. Is there another company you'd like to see him buy? Maybe he should buy Disney. Maybe you should buy McDonald's and fix those damn ice cream machines. Do any of them work at any of the McDonald's? I, I don't. I gave up. I don't know about you. All right, 210-599-5555. What do you think Elon Musk should buy and fix next? We'll talk about that. And Anne is calling in about the football coach and the Supreme Court case on KTSA. Anne, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm on morning on my afternoon constitution at Harburger Park. Coming down from a day of work at a middle school in the biggest oh, public very nice. district in San Antonio. And very I pray nice. every day we have uh, announcements and we have the pledges to the Texas flag and the American flag. And then mm. we have a air quotes moment of silence. Mm. And every day I pray and I'm Catholic and I cross myself and I've had mm. kids say, What are you doing, miss? I'm like, Well, I'm praying. Oh, okay. Mm. And they just move on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um it happens, you know, and I think the only reason it's happening to that poor coach is because he lives in Washington State, and they're mm. crazy out there. So I don't think it <laughs> can't argue with that. Texas. I yeah. really don't. Can't argue with that. So, um, has any, so no one's ever said to you, hey, uh, you need to keep it on the down low or nothing like that? Absolutely not. No. And these are no. middle school kids. So, I mean, they notice everything. But no, they just ask me, what are you doing? I'm praying, guys. Because I do think so, the fewer yeah, people okay. do it, the, hard, the, 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 the fewer people do it, or the more people choose to not do it, the easier it is to separate you from the herd and make an example of you. Because as you said, if it's, if it's pretty common, they can't do it. Right. And then another thing I wanted to mention is that in our library, you were talking about how they're indoctrinating the kids for all the sexual things. In our library, the librarian has posted a little sign by her desk that says, we respect your pronouns. If you want to change your pronoun in your, you know, online profile, let us know and we'll change it for you. How about that? Wow! I, the only sign that used to the only, used to be in my school library was, uh, you know, overdue ten cents a day. Do they yeah, even charge so, for? Do they even uh, charge for overdue books anymore? No, they're just happy to get them back. I think they're just, just <laughs> on eBay, but I guess it's probably gonna just get happy back. to get them back. But, oh man! Yeah. Well, great call, Ann. I'm glad you're having a good walk in Hardburger Park. Thank you for listening to us. I appreciate that. Appreciate the work you do. 210-599-5555. All right, what should Musk buy next? I know, I know he probably is a little strapped right at the moment, but uh, if you believe he's going to fix Twitter, what else do you want him to fix? I'm looking here on the email. A lot of people like the California idea. Probably not for sale. Um, maybe you could just buy... Maybe you just buy San Francisco. 
Well, start somewhere. Uh, Disney. A couple of people have said Disney. Um, I'm kind of pulling for those McDonald's ice cream machines. Just saying. Just saying. 210-599-5555. What would you have him buy next if you believe he's going to be good uh, for Twitter? Speaking of buying, there was a family. I read about this last night. There was a family in Massachusetts. Um, this, this is, uh, I don't see the town. They bought a home next to a golf course, a country club. And when they bought the house, it was not golf season. Up there, there's times of the year you can't golf, so it was probably winter or something. And they knew the golf course was there, but they assumed that, you know, well, it's probably been built a safe distance away, and I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, they said that um, their home has been bombarded this is a $800,000 house, by the way, beautiful house. Um, the home has been bombarded with golf balls. They and their three young daughters uh, are hit by balls from the course's 15th hole. We're always on edge. It's been emotionally taxing for us. The kids wear bicycle helmets from playing outside. There's been damage to the house. Recently, a deck railing was damaged. They say they called the country club. They got... Uh, brushed off. They called police. Police said there's nothing we can do. So now they're suing the country club. The country club has since redirected the 15th tee, and the balls have stopped. But they want $3.5 for emotional distress. What do you think about that? Bought a house. Next to a golf course. I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I don't sympathize. I just, what, what, what were you thinking? I don't know. I've never, I've never lived near a golf course. But when I have seen houses that are on the edge of one, I've often thought, well, must be, I mean, it doesn't matter what way the, have you seen the way people play golf? <laughs> it doesn't matter where the tee is. Balls are going to be flying all over the place. You know, it's not like we're all hitting it straight down the fairway. Most of us are not, in fact. So they are uh, in agony. This is their dream house that, according to their lawyer, has now become a nightmare. Only in America could you live next to a golf course in an $800,000 house and be living a nightmare. God, it just sounds... uh, Aren't you glad you're not them? Don't you feel better about your life now? Oh, thank goodness we don't live next to a beautiful country club in an $800,000 house. Oh, man. I'd give a prayer of thanksgiving, but I don't want to overtly express my faith. We have been talking about this uh, story for a long time, taking a great deal of interest in it. It may only be one school, but this one, the, the experience and the, the, the battle the parents at this one school are waging is a microcosm of, of the war on merit. Uh, that we've seen all over the country when it comes to education. It's Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Fairfax County, uh, Virginia. They were long a uh, school in which gifted and talented students uh, competed fiercely to get into. A really good friend of mine went there, says that it totally transformed his life and his career, set him on the path he's been on ever since. Can't imagine his life without that high school in his in his life in his past. Uh, but then, um, 
they decided in the midst of all this political correctness to do away with merit and instead distribute uh, positions uh, to as, so as to increase racial and ethnic diversity. And it's been a court battle ever since. Yesterday, the Supreme Court uh, refused to block this new policy, but I want to walk through how we got to this point with our next guest, author, activist, and a parent uh, at that school, Azra Nomani, joining us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Azra, it's good to have you back with us. Thanks for making time today. Oh, thank you so much, Jack. And I will add, as one of my uh, credentials now, I am a survivor because <laughs> my son graduated class of 2021, and I survived the school system. And yeah. I got to tell you, I got a, um, I got, I got a um, nomination for Elon Musk. Fairfax County Public Schools has an annual budget of $3 billion. I'd like him to come in and buy it. <laughs> there you go. There you Take go. Take ownership over Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, and he will have his C-suite and his programmers lined up for the next mm. 20 years. Good point. Yeah, I mean, who, yes. who wouldn't want to have that pipeline of talents? Yes, um, exactly. So when this, first, when this first went to court, there was a, a judge, a U.S. District Judge, who said that the the school's new policy was discriminatory, right? That it was racial balancing. Yes, it was remarkable. I'll never forget that day. It was February 28th of this year, 2022, a Friday, and we got the email from our lawyers at Pacific Legal Foundation that Judge Claude Hilton had decided that, in fact, the uh, you know new racial based um, race based admissions policy to TJ was unconstitutional, illegal, anti Asian, and a violation of the Fourteenth Amendment, which, if folks don't know, protects equality under the law for all people. So then, that was appealed by the I guess the school district up the the chain to the fourth court, right? For the, yeah, well, what, this is what happened. It's such a, it's a sort of a bureaucratic issue that we just um, ju- uh, adjudicated. Here's what happened: is the judge immediately said, as we should say with cases of racism and discrimination, stop. Like you cannot continue this racist admissions policy. But lo and behold, the 12-0 Democrats that run the school board decided they wanted to be able to continue their racist admissions policy while the case went through the appeals court. So it was this minor issue of whether they would be allowed to continue the admissions process this spring. You know, this is, right now um, they were going to announce the new freshman class coming in the fall, and they wanted to be allowed to go through the same, you know, mm-hmm. illegal process. And so unfortunately... Well, it was another great day where Judge Hilton said, no, you have to go back to the old test. Well, stubborn as they are, they went to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. They got the stay from two judges, one nominated by Clinton, one nominated by Biden, to one decision. And we then, the Coalition for TJ, asked the Supreme Court to just look at that question and to stop this racist system. And so what the justices did yesterday was they said, we're not going to intervene right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and 
respect the Fourth Circuit, you know, giving this day. And this is typical, apparently. This is um, considered the, quote, shadow docket. It sounds so nefarious, but it's it's an emergency applications. And they usually don't like to make decisions mm-hmm. about law based on that. So we're still fighting. I want everybody to know. They know that's really complicated. But just the, the takeaway is we're still in the fight. We're going to be going through the appeals court process now. The school system is a new massive resistance to you know, equal rights. And just like they were in the 1950s, fighting integration. And the um, amicus briefs, the friend of the court brief for us, um, it's due in June. So if anybody wants to pitch in and join us, please contact us at Coalition for TJ. And then um, the oral arguments will be in September. So this is a months-long battle now that it'll go through the appeals court. And I've heard, I'm sure you have too, that you can't read anything into the ultimate outcome from their decision not to stop or stay right. the Fourth Circuit decision. Yeah, actually, what we really see is this, is that three judges, though, did vote with us. And that is strong because that was um, an indication that we have those three judges, you know, understanding clearly the importance of this case. And then, you know, Chief Justice Roberts, he had the option to just make the decision himself. And he did vote against us, unfortunately. But he took it to the entire bench. And that means that they realize, like, this is a cutting-edge issue. And, and you know, you you set us, you know, you framed it perfectly because this coalition for TJ versus the Board of Education, it is like Brown versus Board of Education in the 1950s. You know, the racism that was perpetuated before against black students is now being perpetuated against Asian students. And, um, and unfortunately, it's the Southern Democrats that are just digging in their heels once again to perpetuate racism. I, I'm just like, it's, it, you know, I wasn't schooled in that history because I grew up in the neighboring West Virginia and we didn't have the same politics. Um, but man, the Southern Democrats are just repeating history right now. Mm-hmm. It's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Do you get the feeling that with, Everything going on, I mean, all kidding aside about Elon Musk, but sort of, you know, the parental rights bill in Florida, uh, maybe some changes in the online world of free speech. There, there does, and just the, the phenomenon of parents going to school board meetings, which you and I have talked about before, there's obviously an awakening. Yeah. And it's like people that never fought back before yeah. or people that waited for someone else to fix it are taking matters into their own hands. I mean that in a good way. We've even talked, I think you know Kenny Shu, uh, who, yeah. who's written a lot about uh, the Asian-American experience, and he's saying this is a group of people that politicians thought would never raise their voices, right? Right. Oh, my gosh. You know, I just am just shocked and stunned. I have to tell you that the, the way that, quote, liberal progressives are responding to us there is a saying in liberalism, right, that says, don't, uh, you know, set policy about any people without them. So it, the, the, the slogan then becomes, don't talk about us without us, right? It's commonly said by activists, you know, Black Lives Matter. Well, they, the liberal progressive Democrats, of which I have traditionally counted myself, right, um, they have ignored us. They have marginalized us. They erased us. I can't even tell you, just yesterday, Fairfax Democrats tweeted out a 
about another parent group that is mostly white, you know, related to issues of open school as the ones behind this Coalition for TJ effort. And as if, like, we, the immigrant parents of, quote, color, don't even exist, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, mm-hmm. and this has happened again and again because we're that, just like Kenny talks about, we're that inconvenient minority for their narrative right. of the oppressed victims that can never advance in this nation this great nation that we have, and we love this country, and that's why we're fighting. Mm. Well, thank you for updating us on where it stands. We're going to keep in in touch and and hopefully have good news the next time we talk. Absolutely, and, um, you know, just appreciate that everybody across the country like you are paying attention because this is important that we win this for the nation. Absolutely. Azra Nomani, thank you so much tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Um, I, I, I love this subject. I'm, I hate that we have to talk about it, but I, I will admit we, we probably spend as much time or more time on it than any other show because I just, I, I, if we don't get this right, we don't get the future right. You know, it's that simple. All the other stuff is important in its own way. But um, if, if we screw up, pardon my language, the simple idea that the, the best student, the hardest working student, the one that studied harder, longer, the one that didn't go to the party but hit the books, if we screw up the idea that that matters, and if instead we make what matters most is which hyphenation you have, which politically designated group you belong to, because these are political designations, right? The politicians are the ones that divide us into these hyphenated identities. If if we screw that up and we make that what matters, we're just another country. We're just another run-of-the-mill place to be born and live. And I, I don't want that. So that's why I think this is important, as important as anything. 210-599-5555. Mary writes to Jack at KTSA.com. Jack, I'm getting a little concerned as I heard on the news that Beto O'Rourke is only two points behind Governor Abbott. What would Texas be like with him in control? Well, first of all, we hope that Beto is on the mend. He's got uh, COVID. He has the uh, the Kamala Harris variant. Uh, no, I'm just I'm kidding. We hope he's we hope he is feeling well. He does well. He'll be fine because he remember he nursed a blind squirrel back to health. If he can, well, I'm just saying if he can do that. Imagine what good care he can take of himself there. Mary, I don't think I believe... That was one poll. I don't remember who did it. But every other poll that I've seen shows that it's about a 7 to 10 point race. And it may be close or closer, but I don't think it's... I don't really believe at the moment. I'm not saying you should get cocky or count your chickens before they hatch, but I I don't see Beto O'Rourke defeating Greg Abbott. I think that there is a moment of reckoning coming for Texas as far as whether it's a red state or not. I think there's all kinds of trend lines that call that into question, people moving here from California, uh, various other things. But um, it, it's going to take more than Beto. Um, I just don't, I don't think he's the one. He's the, I don't think he's the transformative guy. But I'm not saying it won't ever happen or it could never happen. So we'll see. A lot of uh, good responses on the Elon Musk question. Um, 
A couple of people have said, and I thought this was, I would not have even thought of this. Uh, Mario, for example, uh, said, uh, I would like to see him uh, either buy ERCOT or build a better Texas power grid. I hadn't even thought of that. Cullen said that, too. Cullen says you should buy CPS Energy. Uh, Wendy writes to Jack at KTSA.com, I wish Elon could fix the health care system or the U.S. Postal Service. But if those aren't available, she writes, how about Whataburger? The company that purchased it is making a lot of mistakes, starting with changing the cinnamon rolls and the chocolate chunk cookies. I didn't know they had changed those things. Is that true? I've only been to Whataburger a handful of times since that company took over, and I usually just get like a burger or a patty melt or something. So I, I hadn't noticed any changes in the stuff I'd had, but it's interesting. We're asking you on the JR poll, is your favorite restaurant back to its pre-pandemic normal? And we're going to talk more about this a little bit later. But um, So think about the place you go the most or the place you go regularly. I, and I'm not asking you to tell me about it. That'll be Friday night on the dish. But is that place, that restaurant, operating the way it did before the pandemic? Does it have the food? Does it have the staff? Does it have the seating? What has gone back to normal? What has not come back? And again, this isn't a, a, an attack or a criticism of the restaurants. They're all doing the best they can. Um, but I'm just curious because I've noticed that a couple of places near my house that I like to go to, and I don't go out a lot, period, but um, these are, I guess, a couple of my kind of go-to or, you know, favorite places um they are they are not back i mean they're open thank goodness they're still open um but the thing i notice the most at a lot of restaurants is they're way understaffed and when you talk to people if you if you have a moment to empathize with a manager or an owner they'll all tell you basically the same thing we yeah we know we are <laughs> we're, we're very sorry we can't keep or 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 attract people. Uh, they either don't want to work, or people are in a... It's a market right now where if you're a, a server, it's a very opportunistic market. You can jump to another restaurant for a buck more an hour, and if you're a young person, that why wouldn't you do that? I'm not faulting them. But it's a very difficult thing for the managers and the owners. They just they can't count from shift to shift that they'll have the requisite or, or necessary number of people or enough people in the kitchen or whatever it might be. I, I, none of these places are falling apart, but I would say in my, the way I would answer this question is these are places I like and I still like, but you have a different experience there now than you had two and a half years ago. What are you seeing? What's your favorite place? Is your favorite restaurant back completely as if it never happened, or what's missing? 210-599-5555. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and we'll get your votes in the JR poll. And then about an hour from now, we're going to see how you voted. We'll get all the votes, and we'll see how it all turned out. But I want to take some calls on that uh, coming up after 6. We'll continue to talk about all of the stories in the news today that we've been uh, covering, in including but not limited to uh, the Twitter story and uh, the Supreme Court football coach case. And then we're going to talk a little bit about something we were 
uh, getting into last week and a little bit yesterday. And it's the idea that um, there is a, a version of life in America for black and Hispanic Americans. There is a version of how things work, of how their life is. And in this version, in this storyline, they are perpetually victims who can only be rescued, only be helped by government and political, uh, you know, interventions. We're going to talk about that with our next guest who has a lot to say about it. All right. I got to brag for just a second and I'm going to let it go. All right. About my Celtics. I feel like this should be a bigger deal. Four game sweep, Dennis. Mm-hmm. Of the team, the experts picked to win the whole thing. Yeah. The Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Four game sweep. The big discussion this morning with Stephen A was should Steve Nash keep his job? That is not the discussion people thought they'd be having at this point, this, this time of year. But uh, congratulations to the Celtics. You know, I don't know how you feel about it. I have a real bias against great players becoming coaches. I just, I think it, it fails more often than it works. And my dad's theory was always that you want like the, like in baseball, you want like the, the third string catcher as a manager. You want the, you know, the journeyman outfielder. They're going to make the best manager in baseball. He would say, you don't, you don't want the, you don't want the superstar. You don't want the 300 hitter because he can't relate to the rank and file players. He doesn't know how they, how they work, how they operate, how they tick. He lives in a different world. I don't know. Steve Nash, legendary player. Everybody loved him as a player. But, I, man, I don't know. That's a big, big letdown in Brooklyn. Anyway, 210-599-5555. Um, we have a, a lot to get to in this um, hour. And what we're going to start with is something that kind of ties in the things we've been talking about today, things we were just talking about with Osra Nomani. And, and we, we got into this discussion a little bit last week. We all have a struggle in our lives. We're all fighting something, right? But increasingly, the the battle you fight every day seems further and further removed from the battle or the issues as defined by our would-be leaders. They keep telling us we need X, Y, and Z, but we're living in a world where we need A, B, and C. And recently, the Pew Research Center um, went to uh, African Americans with a, a, an open-ended question. What is the most important issue in your community? And racism wasn't even one of the top five responses. It was violence, crime, the economy, housing. Um, and And yet... Our, our, our leaders, our would-be leaders, put everything, hang everything on the framework of, well, it's about racism. And even if it's about something else, that something else is about racism. This is one of the things that I wanted to talk about with our next guest, uh, who I've always found, whenever he and I talk privately or on the air, always very interesting and compelling about these things. Chris Miller is a conservative podcaster, uh, somebody that likes bridging uh, the left and the right, liberals and conservatives, can talk with anybody, can hang with anybody, and he's hanging with us right now. Chris, welcome back to the show. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, brother. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me. So I, I shared this. Yeah, it's good to have you. I, I shared this uh, 
article from Newsweek with you about the the Pew study and this notion that um, we now have leaders who have created a version of the people they want to lead rather than leading people through the very real things they're dealing with, right? Right. You know, I was actually just talking with uh, with a buddy of mine about this and about this article, and what the, the common theme that we've all seen here is that they're really trying to typecast black people into a role, or mi- minorities in general, into a role that leaves them feeling helpless, feeling at the mercy and at the whim of whatever comes next. And they want us, they want minorities to feel as if we, we need a savior. You know, and this goes, this harkens back to, to slave days where we were given, uh, we were given a caricature of who we should worship. And we were given that thought of this is your master. So it's the same thing. You fast forward 200, 400 years later and we're black people are being told who our master is by the person that's allowed to speak for us. We're not allowed to speak for ourselves. We're not allowed to tell people. We're not, we're not allowed to voice our own opinions on matters. We're being told, hey, this is how you should feel about what's happening in the world. This is where race, This is what racism is. We're not even allowed to define what we feel racism is anymore. That's, that's the biggest travesty mm-hmm. is that we're, we're being told what to be angry about. Who, who, who's our enemy? Instead of us figuring this out for ourselves, which we already know how to do, we're being told who to vote for. We're being told how to vote. We're being told, actually, that we're not capable of finding our own place to vote from. Like, these, these are all things that have been taken out of our hands, theoretically, by people that call themselves the savior of minorities. So I, think it's even, I think it's even wider. I don't think it's just what they tell uh, black Americans or, or other you know, minority groups. I also think it's what they're telling white Americans. They are, oh, they're yeah. telling us what your experience is, which short-circuits you telling us what your experience is right and nothing gets done nothing gets done that way the the, the biggest problem is and, the, and on top of all of this this uh guilt that they want you to feel about what you're doing to us right now when it's not it's not something that's being done to us right now it's something that that, that we're not we're not being that we're not allowed to do for ourselves that's that's really holding us back but there there, there are there's so many messages that that they're propping up against truth and reality that's really that's really blinding us from what's actually happening it's, and it's stopping us it's curtailing any effect that would that any any kind of positive thought or any kind of positive growth because we're being told that you know and it, and it harkens to things like uh critical race theory when we're, we're not able to move on from the past because we have to be stuck in the past we have to be stuck mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a mindset to where if if i know that um, the white man is my enemy, then I know where I stand. And that's, that's where they want, us, they want us to be as simple as that. Because if that's the case, then they, then they can constantly put us, put us in the direction, to point us in, in that direction, and, and they, can, they can use that to their advantage whenever, whenever it suits them. So it's a kind of, um, I'm, I'm going to make a, a comparison that's a little rough, but, you know, there was a dark thought during COVID that, Part of of what um, the shutdowns and the stay at homes, uh, stay at home orders were about, was making sure people couldn't talk with one another, relate to each other. Um, your home, your only connection to the outside world, are these various channels that we, you know, control. You, we don't want you comparing notes with other people like you would do if you were out there. 
And, and to me, the discussion about race in America is like that. It's, it's in lockdown mode. Don't talk to somebody else. We'll tell you what their experience is. We'll tell you how they feel. And we'll tell you what they think of you. Don't go find out for yourself. Right. I mean, and that's, is, is that not how they all, how it's always been operated? Like, you, if they can control the narrative and they can control the discussion, then they can control the outcome and the, and the, the thought process. If you, you don't have, if you can shut down the, the really serious thought leaders and you can control that speech, like, um, I don't know, Twitter does or Facebook does, if you can control that, even to a small degree, you can change the outcome of anything. You can change, you can change people's, you can change people's mm-hmm. um, outlook on anything. And that's, that's a huge, that's a huge issue that I think that we're actually starting to, uh, to address and people are waking up to it. And I think they're really going to wake up to it because boy, uh, Elon Musk, um, he, he scored one theoretically for the team. And we're going to, we're going to hope and pray that that's how this t- turns out. But yeah. Yeah. you know, the more restricted speech is the more, um, the more we have to depend on certain people to, to give us what we what we feel like we need to, to understand the world. Uh, podcaster Chris Miller, good friend, uh, sitting in here for a few more minutes uh, with us uh, as we talk about this idea that our leaders have set up uh, our, 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 our priorities or our struggles. These are the things that matter. This is what you're struggling with. And people are saying, no, no, that's not it. That's not what I'm worried about. That's not what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I need safe streets. I need schools that educate my kids. I need to be able to make a living. Uh, I need to be able to afford gasoline. It's not what you're telling everybody that I'm a victim of, of racism. Um, are people pushing back, waking up? Is there, is there the beginning of the emperor has no clothes uh, as far as these self-appointed spokespeople? Yeah, I think that uh, the the honest truth is that um, as this new generation comes in, we're we're definitely having our eyes open to and something that a lot of us already knew that um, people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, those people of um, I call them the green screen, the green screeners. It seems like they're always sitting in sitting in a room in front of a green screen, just waiting on the next thing to pop off, so they can tell Mm -hmm. black people how they need to react. You know, mm-hmm. I, nobody appointed these people our leaders, and the pe- but the media has always called them, mm-hmm. oh, black leader this, um, minority leader this. Like these people have never been elected as our as our representatives, yet they're being propped up, and they have been propped up as the leaders. And the same thing they do with they try this with BLM and and uh, all these other these other activist organizations where they're putting these people as our representatives. They don't represent who we are, what we what we feel as a, as a whole, and and even so, black people and most minorities are not monolithic. That's the biggest thing that, that's been perpetrated against us is where they have this person that comes out and speaks for forty million black people, mm-hmm. saying that this is how we feel and this is how we're going to react and we're going to burn this down. Like, oh well, you know what? I don't feel that way, Jesse. I, I, I even wonder. Yeah, I I even wonder if that's going to happen in the LGBTQ community because there again you have a, a very diverse group of people that are being uh, pigeonholed into well we all want this or we all agree with that and sooner or later I think they're going to also say that you don't speak for me or we're not okay with this or that being in the classroom it's just going to take a while but I think the process is underway you you mentioned Elon Musk what what role does Twitter and social media play in the unraveling of the self-appointed spokesperson. Oh, because the veil is going to be pulled 
abruptly back on the on the big lie. These these things that have been perpetrated against everybody and pulling pulling the public public forum into a into a closed circus media, medium is has been something that's been very detrimental to the cause of any kind of uh, actual progression in America. When we are not allowed to speak to each other and to voice our differences and opinions, then there's there's been such a such a um, I mean there's been such a chokehold that's been placed on actual real science getting out for for COVID's sake and for actual real opinions. So, and I'll harken that back to what you're saying about the LGBT community. So that jig is already up. I, I have I have friends that are in that community, and I'll tell you right now that they they do not appreciate what's going on in the schools and the things mm-hmm. that are being taught to children, and they mm-hmm. and they feel like that is actually throwing a monkey wrench in their and their uh, plans for full on acceptance and just being right. being because right. they just want to be um it's it's they want to be humanized and now I understand yeah they just want to live yeah yeah exactly and that's all we want to do as so a man all I want to do is just live. Let me let me bring it down to brass tacks here. Let's get down to specifics. So, right now, um, in the old media model, because uh, I'll tell you how we got the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons and the Sean Whites, uh, who they call Talcum X. I'll, I'll tell you how we got them. <laughs> we got them because if you're in a newsroom and you've got a story about race uh, or that tangentially involves race, the easiest thing to do is is go to your you know your contact list. And say, oh, we always talk to so and so about that. We always interview so and so. We always have so and so on our on our nighttime show about that. And then you have him on, and he or she purports to speak for the entire race or the entire ethnic group or whatever it is. So, how do you? What What is your advice to the media if if you want them to stop doing that and get a diversity of reactions so that there isn't one guy that speaks for all of Black America? What What do you want them to do? Oh man, that's that's a that's a tough one because you know we're such it's even within the black community and I'm sure all the minorities there's such a diverse community and such so many differing opinions that it's it's there's nobody that can speak for all of us as being and there's no one person that can uh, that can encapsulate everything and that's going across our communities like there's we obviously we're split kind of with liberals and and uh, and and conservatives but. We still have things that we meet in the middle on. If they want to meet us in the middle, then they just need to have uh, a more diverse forum type deal. It cannot be just one person. Yeah, I mean, split the side. screen. Get get the right, get the, exactly. the 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 usual get the usual person that you've had on a hundred and two times, and then get somebody like you, or or somebody that that you know will argue or push back on what they're going to say, and 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 let that be a, a contest, right? So that in the end, no one has been the spokesperson, right? Right. Because when they, what they, and I've seen this so many times, they will get one person like me to go on uh, any of these shows on MSNBC or something, and then they will just dog pound, gang, like they will gang up on that person, and they will mm. try to control him. They will try to control him or her, and they will try to lead this conversation to make that person paint them in a certain type of light to make them look crazy or radical or any of these things. When all they need to do. And th- but we we know just and you 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 know you and I know this, the legacy media's job they they don't feel that their job is to have uh, equal coverage. They don't feel like they they need to actually get to the bottom of anything. They want to know, they want people to know what they want them to know. So but if they were actually being truthful about what's happening, if they wanted to have some kind of 
positive change, they would, in fact, have an equal form of people that actually ask them the same questions. Don't get don't give people weighted questions. Don't give people like curve uh, softball questions. You need to have an open and honest discussion. The day that we have an open and honest discussion about I mean, if, if it has to be about race, then let's have an open, honest discussion about race. But let's not go into this trying to batter that other side and, and, put, and paint them in a negative light. Because I do think what happens is people get fatigued of hearing the same thing oh, from the same person over and over. And they start to think, well, I guess we're never going to solve this, or I guess that, that guy will never be happy. And, and I think that's why, and I will say, you're right about legacy media, but even legacy media, they got to acknowledge new media. They have to acknowledge what's what's changing all around them. We do, they all do. And so I think there's hope that they, not because they'll sense they made a mistake, but just because they want to remain relevant, I think there's hope right. that they will move in the direction you and I are talking about. And again, the more people speak up and say, hey, you're you're depicting me against my will. You're you're describing a version of my life that doesn't exist, that isn't real. The better off we are. So we need more of that. Well, I think that that's what Twitter is going to do. Twitter is going to open the floodgates to show people where we really stand. Because so for so long we've had this monopoly on on being black, this monopoly on the black experience, being told by people the narrative of people that aren't even black. So once we open that up and, add, and actually have honest conversations with them, even amongst each other, black and white or whoever, like once we have open and honest discussions, we'll actually be able to see that what's being told to us is not what's in reality. That's why they don't want us out on the streets talking to each other, talking to your neighbor, because then we would be able to share ideas. Like you said, right. we'd be able to share the idea that, hey, you're not, I don't need to hate you. Why would I hate my neighbor? I have, I've lived here for 10 years. And he's been great to me. All of a sudden, because right. he's white, I need to hate him. So right. once we get that out of our system, and actually coming coming to the table and actually breaking bread with one another like we used to, we'll get back to some positive some positive interactions and the things that we need to actually be discussing. Because like I say I say on my show, we all have the same thing that we're str- struggling for. We all have this. We're all we're all fighting for life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. We're all we all have a family that we're trying to provide for. We all mm-hmm. have we all want the best for for our family, and we're all doing mm-hmm. the same thing. We're all in the same struggle. We're all working. You know, we're trying to provide. Now, all the same things affect us. These taxes affect us. The property value affect us the same way. We, we live in the same district. So, I mean, so within these districts, we shouldn't have varying opinions on things that affect right. us the same way, negatively or positively. We should be fighting for those same things yep. in, that same, in that same vein. Yeah. Imagine the power if that happened. Uh, where can f- right. people find the podcast, Chris? Where can they find the podcast? Uh, they can go to chrismillershow.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook uh, at the Chris Miller Show. Okay, and that's it. Yep. And, and they I'm, should. I'm probably going to get back on Twitter. And you can I was just going to. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. right. Let me know when you're back yeah. on Twitter, and we'll tell everybody. All right. Oh yeah, I'm gonna jump back in the hate machine. Oh oh oh, and um, what's that? Uh, truth. The Truth. dot com. Truth. dot com. The Truth app. I'm on there, so you can find the Chris Miller Show on the Truth app. Of it. Oh, okay, good. All right, a lot of places. Chris, thank you for the time tonight. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate your hanging with us, and I hope we can do this again soon. Always a a pleasure. Anytime, brother. All right. Take good care.
on Twitter, it is predominantly straight white men. So when Elon Musk says, wow, this is about free speech, it seems to me that it's about free speech of straight white men. And so let them have it. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was the I didn't know it was the men's locker room at at Twitter. A lot of women just finding that out for the first time too. What are you doing in here? Uh, if you're not a straight white man, what are you doing on Twitter? That's Sonny Hostin, one of the geniuses on the View. Um, my favorite of all the, and I mean, it's we're into day two of Muskegon, you know, the end of the world. Uh, but my favorite was this guy on MSNBC. He's kind of a he's kind of a pinhead anyway, so I'm not really surprised that he would have a uh, a piping hot take on this. But Ari Melber is his name, and um, he got carried away with his what if scenario uh, involving an Elon Musk owned Twitter. Listen as he describes what could happen. Has never happened before, mind you, but could happen in a future election cut number two you own all of twitter or facebook or what have you you don't have to explain yourself you don't even have to be transparent you could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates all of its nominees or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else and the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election elon musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Oh, my. So let me see if I can process this. Somebody controls Twitter. They have an interest in a particular outcome in the next election. They de-emphasize certain stories. They emphasize others. They shadow ban certain people. They promote and get more traffic to other people. So not all tweets are equal. They could ignore or deplatform candidates, parties, points of view. That could affect a future election. Thank God nothing like that happened during the 2020 election, Ari Melber. Were you in a coma? <laughs> were you at the International Space Station? Where, where were you in 2020, dude? All that already happened. It's like that guy on the History Channel. What if I told you? Ari, already happened. 210-599-5555. We're coming up on the 44th anniversary of just one of the most genius pieces of comedy ever. And interestingly enough, it has been trending lately on social media as people that don't remember it, that are too young to remember when it came out, are saying, hey, what's the deal with this song? This is outrageous. This is so politically incorrect. It's not even funny, they're saying on Twitter. What they're referring to is comedian Steve Martin's 1978 hit record that came from his wildly popular and classic Saturday Night Live sketch, King Tut. So I want you to hear it tonight. You may be hearing it for the first time, or you may remember it from back in the day. I remember the summer of 78 and how 
This was on so many different radio stations. We didn't own a copy of the record, but my brothers and I always, whenever it came on any any of the stations, in the car, at home, you know, because we had a radio in the kitchen, a radio in the dining room, a radio in the in our bedroom. You know, you you just turned it up. We loved Steve Martin and King Tut. So without further ado, here he is. I'd like to talk seriously just for a moment. <laughs> One of the great art exhibits ever to tour the United States is the Treasures of Tutankhamun, or King Tut. But I think it's a national disgrace the way we have commercialized it with trinkets and toys, t-shirts and posters. And about three months ago, I was up in the woods and I wrote a song. I tried to use the ancient modalities and melodies. I would like to do it for you right now. Maybe we can all learn something from this. culture came for King Tut recently, and I'm not sure what happened, but it seemed to kind of short-circuit or, or uh, you know, peter out, wither out, whatever. Uh, maybe in part it's because Steve Martin didn't come, you know, rush right out to the microphones and do some sort of abject apology, at least not yet, and I hope he doesn't. But um, this was some funny stuff 44 years ago, and... Um, I know it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the night, and I'm sorry, not sorry. But uh, I, I guess where I'm coming from is it's silly. It's got some genius in it. Um, he's making fun of commercialism. 
I think people who heard it in 2022 thought, oh, it's ethnically insensitive. But the whole point of it is that the, the King Tut exhibit was touring around the country and they were doing this huge, you know, deal with selling tickets and selling trinkets and selling uh, souvenirs. And, um, it was quite a thing. I mean, it was a big, it was a big deal in a way that I don't even know if a, a, a traveling archaeological exhibition would be today, but it was. And so he tied into that, did the song, did the bit. Uh, he was, he was performing to sold out stadiums. This record was issued on Warner Brothers Records, which was a major record label. Um, he performed it on NBC on the on Saturday Night Live. So what I'm saying is, these were all of the kinds of media entities that today would 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 just have a heart attack if they were associated with anything like this. But at the time, they recognized talent and comedy, and we did too. And do you want to live in a world where we can't have this kind of a laugh? Because there are people that want to make sure you will. And you do. Is your favorite restaurant back to its pre-pandemic normal? That was the question on the JR poll presented by Stevens Roofing. Is your favorite restaurant back to its pre-pandemic operations? 61% said no. 39% yes. Hopefully it's still open. But a lot of people are telling me that they see what I see, which is that um, staffing is an issue. Mainly that's the com- the concern, staffing. A little bit about not having everything on the menu or running out of things. Um, I kind of feel like the the supply thing might get fixed sooner. The not being able to staff up, not being able to get people to apply for positions, stay once they're hired, I, that... I think we've, I think we've really dug ourselves a hole here. We've, we've changed for a, for a young generation of people. And I'm not picking on them. This is not me, some old guy. There are young people today. They're still, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we redefined work. We redefined it. We did this. And they have a different view of work, jobs, Loyalty to a job, and that's not easily undone. Once you do it, it's not easily changed. These things are easier to change than they are to fix, I think. Anyway, new JR poll tomorrow. We get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. You can find our uh, entire podcasts of our show, entire episodes of our show, on demand when you want to hear them at KTSA.com. His name is um, Avi Loeb. He's an astrophysicist, uh, pretty preeminent in his field. He believes that in 2014, an interplanetary spaceship crashed into and sunk into the Pacific Ocean. There is no question that an object entered the Pacific off the coast of Papua New Guinea in 2014. The U.S. Space Command says it was a meteor, but according to the New York Post, Professor Loeb says he believes it was um, some sort of extraterrestrial object, Um, and he wants them to do some deep dives to determine what that interstellar object was. He's calling for an expedition to locate whatever is left of it, is my dream is to press some buttons on a functional piece of equipment that was manufactured outside of Earth. 
I don't know if he's right or wrong, but that is fascinating to me. I'm I'm one of those people I can be like channel surfing, and if that crazy guy with the long hair is on History Channel, you know the guy I'm talking about. You know who I mean, right? You knew exactly the minute I said it. The guy that's on every one of their UFO shows. I stop. I'm interested. Um, speaking of conspiracy theories, there's an interesting one about Chernobyl tonight. Have you heard this? So remember when the, the Russian troops occupied Chernobyl and there was fear that there would be fighting in and around that, that shell that they built around the ruined nuclear reactor that had the accident in 86? Well, the news tonight is that radiation levels have suddenly gone way up around there. And they're speculating that heavy equipment tramping and traipsing around and through the grounds, because it was a whole huge area that was supposed to be off-limits and, and, you know, fenced off. The Russians went right through it, apparently, supposedly. And so now there's concern that whatever had been put in place to contain the radiation is has been disturbed or breached or whatever. And and then some people even go further than that. They say, well, look, um, Putin's going to intentionally touch off radiation and toxicity. He can't he can't win in Ukraine. He's going to ruin Ukraine. He's going to do the and that's an old thing in war, you know, in warfare, right? The whole scorched earth. If you can't have it, if I can't have it, nobody can have it kind of mentality. We're going to burn your oil fields. We're going to ruin your farmland. So the theory goes that Chernobyl would be that for him. I don't know. Hope, hopefully that's not true. Uh, we'll certainly be here to talk about it tomorrow. We'll start at 4. You can find our show anytime at KTSA.com. We'll leave you with a little more King Tut. Don't think that I'm a nut. Here's King Tut. He never thought he'd see people stand in line to see the boy King. How'd you get so funky? Did you do the funky? Now if I 